You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Chapter 3, verses 5 through 11, where the Apostle Paul writes, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is God's word. Thank you, Pastor Dave. Um, We are in this sort of series uh, talking about idolatry, and um, we've talked about uh, discerning idolatry, uh, not only in our own hearts, but around us, in the church, uh, in the community, uh, culturally. Uh, We've also talked not only about uh, discerning it, but then exposing it, you know, being able to call it out uh, and, uh, and call it what it is, being able to own it, so to speak. And, and, and in particular, we talked a little bit more about our own lives in that respect, uh, but also being able to, to do that within your community, within your, your cultural context. Uh, for those of you who are college students, um, calling it out on your campus. What, what are the idols that my particular campus culture is, uh, is going after, are serving, uh, are allowing in, in some way? Those kinds of things. Um, but we do have to go beyond that. We go beyond being able to identify it. We go beyond being able to, to, to call it out as, as such. But we need to be able to take it down. Uh, this is what the Apostle Paul was about was uh, exposing it in such a way um, that, that through the gospel, people overcame. Uh, and I, I hope that you see that in the passage today. I hope that I'm not giving you a passage that you're going to put in front of yourself and you're going to say, well, this is that do not list. You know, this is the nasty stuff I'm not supposed to do and I'm doing some of it, so now I feel bad again. I hope that that's not how you're going to sit with this. I hope that's not how you're going to embrace this particular passage because I think that Paul has a number of other things that he's saying to us through this passage that we can grab a hold of. And I think they're very important. I think they're life-giving. You know, in in Life Church, we do not talk a lot about the law uh, and and we don't use the law against ourselves, okay? Uh, That's not how we operate. We live in the tree of life. And we talk about Jesus as the one who has come to give us life uh, and, and life abundant. And so we're not about a, 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 you know, a, a list to check off saying, well, I didn't do that and I didn't do that. And then we find the one thing we did and go, okay, I have to repent of that. And repentance is this weird thing that happens for a moment. And we say we're going to turn away and we deal with that and, and then we move on. And repentance doesn't have depth to it in, in that kind of dynamic. And so I I hope that this morning we can look at this a little bit and say, okay, how do we as individuals and corporately take down the idols? How how do we come against these things 
that are plaguing our lives, are plaguing our mind, are obsessing and controlling our heart and our emotions and our decisions and all those kinds of things. What, what do we do with this? Okay. Now, with that, I want to explain to you that I believe that there is a dynamic that needs to be happening within the church. And I, I believe it needs to be happening in, in each of our lives personally. And that is that we are, we are creating this kind of cycle in life, all right? Um, and that this cycle begins to happen, and as it results, all right, or, or as, as results come from the cycle that, that we put ourselves in, um, there is like a supernatural kind of maturing that takes place in our lives. By that I mean spiritually we're growing, spiritually we're changing, spiritually there's a dynamic that is going on where we look back over time and we see certain points in our life that are, that are definitely markers, events that really change us. But we're saying, you know what, I am a much better Christian today than I was in the, in the past. I'm a much more mature Christian than I was some time ago. I'm, I'm way more grounded and I'm way more even than I was a year ago or two years ago or, or three or whatever. So that as you're going through this life individually and with one another, you are constantly seeing some type of progression. You're seeing some type of growth and development spiritually for your life, all right? And I believe that, that this, this dynamic that I'm, I'm talking to you about, it needs to be going on in the Christian's walk, in the Christian's life, all the time. It isn't something that happens on occasion. It doesn't happen just when you feel a, a, a tinge of conviction. It doesn't happen when someone gets up and preaches and names a particular sin and you say, guilty as charged, okay? But it's something that is going on all the time within our lives. And so this dynamic, if you will, for lack of better terms, we'll just call it Christian growth. All right? It's something that's going on. It, it, out of this Christian growth, you're going to be seeing some supernatural change going on in your life. There's going to be some markers along the way that you're going to be seeing. And you're going to begin to understand that this is a spiritual cycle that I'm in. It's, it's happening, and there are certain pieces of the cycle that, that repeat themselves from time to time, all right? But here's what I want you to understand is a result of all of this, and this is what we're coming down to, and this is how we're going to deal with idols um, in, in part at least, and I think this is the major piece of the, of the puzzle, is that this dynamic, this cycle that we're talking about needs to consist of repentance that grows faith. Repentance that grows or, or allows for the growth of faith. So as we are in acts of repentance... Our faith is going to be released and it's going to grow out of that dynamic of repenting and overthrowing the sin cycles or the, the strongholds within our lives. And I don't believe that this is relegated to a one-time experience when you get saved and you repent of sin, but I believe that it needs to be ongoing. And I think this is a mistake that Christians make all the time is we have a wrong view of repentance. 
And we need to see repentance very differently than what we maybe have been taught it is. Or, or just simply come to understand through the kinds of, of, of churches that we've been in and that sort of thing. Martin Luther, when he uh, nailed the, the 95 theses to, to the door, so to speak, um, how many of you know what the very first one is? Does anybody in here know what the very first one is? Come on, guys. I know that you all learned all 95 of them at some time, didn't you? No. <laughs> Okay, I didn't know until I started doing research for this, this material, okay? Here's the first of the 95 theses. Uh, all of life is repentance. That's where he starts. That's the beginning place. That's the first thing on what he nailed on the door. The, the very first Protestant. And the first thing he says is all of life is repentance. And I think that, that it is of great value to us to try to understand what he is talking about here. It is really, really good for us to begin to look at this. If all of life is repentance, then what is repentance? Because I think a lot of you have tracked with, with me in, in my spiritual growing and maturing. And that is to say... Oh, I know repentance is when I turn from a sin. And I leave it right there. I don't really try to figure out what the, 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 the real deep meanings and value of repentance is. I'm, I'm convicted of a sin and I'm busy trying to turn from it. I'm busy trying to figure out how not to do it. And so I do work, you know. I just add more work to my life when I realize that I have a sin because I am now trying to stop having that sin. And that's what repentance becomes for me. And repentance doesn't become joyful. Repentance becomes despair. I don't like it because, first of all, it shows or, or exposes to me more of my weakness and my shortcoming. And I have a tendency to fall into to performance or to doing or to busyness of trying to, to get away from this sin. How many of you, guys, I'll pick on you for a minute, but how many of you guys, you know, you, you get caught up in a sexual sin or you get tempted by a sexual sin? What do you generally do? You, 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 you pray a prayer and, and there's some sort of verbal repentance I'm sorry, God, I turn from this, I renounce this, this is wickedness in me, forgive me, God, help me never to do this again. Goodness gracious. And then what do you do? You go and fill your life up with stuff to do. Because a few minutes of idle time will lead you right back towards that sin. And so now I got to be busier than ever. I got to overschedule myself so that I can fight the opportunity to have a little bit of time to do something that I would like to do, like follow hard after God because I'm busy trying to, to, to suppress or to deny or to block or to counter this particular temptation or sin in my life. And 
Folks, for some of us, that's the way our spiritual life is. That's what it's all about. Which is so unfortunate because that robs us of the joy of the Lord. And the ability to enjoy the Lord and have dynamic times with Him. Repentance, I think, for the average Christian... uh, Well, let's say it this way. The average Christian, I think, believes that repentance is for uh, a bad time. A difficult situation where we got ourselves in some kind of bind spiritually. Uh, we committed some type of sin. Uh, we slid back. We did wrong. We regressed in some way. So, so repentance is, is always understood that way. Now I have to turn. Now I have to recalibrate. Now I have to turn it back around. Now I have to go in the opposite direction. There's always this, this doing kind of thing, all right? And, and here's the, the, what I think is the key. The, the cycle by which we grow is to move daily from repentance to faith. Repentance to faith. Repentance to faith. Our repentance should be doing something. There should be some fruit of repentance that is going on in our lives. And the, re, the fruit of repentance can't be making you busier. The fruit of repentance can't be burning you out more. The fruit of repentance can't be exhausting you to where you're ineffective for God. Rightly understood, repentance brings, the Bible says, refreshing. And and all of us, I think most of us anyway, would say, you know, when I hear the word repentance, it's like, ugh, okay. If I had, I said to you last Sunday, we're going to talk more about taking down idols and some of you are like yes because you need that you realize that in in your in your own heart you realize through this particular little series of sermons that there are things that are displacing God in your heart and they are bigger to you than God is and you're depending on them more than than God and they're meeting needs more than you're letting God meet needs and and so there's this huge displacement okay so you understand that so you know that you need to to have those idols brought down all right and so I said we're going to talk about that and and yes great but if I had said you know what next Sunday we're going to continue on talking about idols and I'm going to talk to you about repentance your first response would have been oh that's going to be tough. We don't, we, don't, we don't run to repentance. We see it as a difficult thing that we have to do because it's part of the mix. But we really don't understand, I believe, the great value and the, and the great reward of repentance. I think if we did, we would chase after it more. And, and it would become a more uh, vital part of our growth and our spiritual maturity. Uh, so we need to look at that. We need to understand what's going on when we talk about re- repentance a little bit. Um, many of you will, will recall Luke chapter 7. And this story in Luke chapter 7, Jesus is in the, in the home of a, a very wealthy to-do man. Uh, a woman comes in and um, she uh, just sort of kneels down at Jesus' feet and she begins to kiss his feet and, and, and she's, she's showing all of this love and, and adoration to Jesus. And this guy, uh, Simeon, he, he begins to, to have thoughts in his own mind about the situation he's looking at. And, uh, and he, he says, you know, if this guy was really a prophet, he would know who she is. He would know what she has done. You know, 
And, and so Jesus perceives this process that's going on in this man's mind. You know, he's, he's, he's wealthy, he's probably astute, he's, he's, he's known, he, he's noticed, uh, he, has, he has a good lifestyle, uh, he has a reputation. So no doubt he has an identity. And his identity seems to be giving him permission to create identities for other people. And so he begins to look at this woman in a certain way. And so his, his religion or his nobility or his goodness or his good works or all of these things cause him to look at this woman different than he sees himself. And he begins to think this process out in his mind. If only this man who is supposed to be the prophet was really a prophet, he would understand and know. What he's really saying is he would not be allowing her to do this. He would stop this. He would put, he would put an end to this right. If he only knew, he would put an end to this right now. And basically what his heart was saying was, I am way better than this. I don't need this woman in my house kissing the feet of my guest. Do, do you follow that, that line? And Jesus, perceiving this, looks at him and says, I need to tell you a story. Ooh. There was a man. And two men owed him money. They owed debt to him. One man owed him 50 denarii. It was, a, it was a big debt. But the man forgave him. The other man came and that man owed him a far greater debt. And the debt he owed him was 500 denarii. Ten times the amount he forgave the other man. But he forgave him. He forgave both men equally. But who do you think will love him the most? And the man in whose house he was a guest said, the one whom he forgave the greatest debt. Yes. Yes. The man who was forgiven 500 loved the man or appreciated the man more than the man who gave, forgave, whose debt was forgiven of 50 denarii. I, I think we can learn something for this. Now, as, as we're looking at that, let's, let's go back to today's passage. You need to understand that, that Paul writes and he says, hey, these are things that you need to abstain from. These are things you need to get away from. So he is sort of creating a, a do not list. But he's saying you need to do that because they are idolatry. These things are idolatry, and you need to get away from that. But here's what he says. You used to do them. I think that's really key. You used to be like this. You used to do these same kinds of things. But now you don't do them anymore because you are believers. Because of the, of the gospel, you don't do this anymore. And so we see here 
somehow there is a dynamic that is going on in the lives of the believers in the early church where they recognize their sin and they repent of their sin and they grow. Now, oftentimes when Paul is talking about sin and pointing out a variety of sins to the people, who is he talking to? Christians. The church. But what Paul is understanding is that there's a dynamic that is going on here, and that is that you are moving from identification of your sin, a repentance owning that sin, repenting of it, and then moving into a greater level of faith. Your faith is growing, and your faith is growing proportionally to your ability to repent of your sin. So this is a dynamic that is happening. And why do we continue to have idols? Why do we continue to battle with the idols of our lives? Why do we continue to put things on the throne of our heart that displaced God. Because we're not repenting. And you say, but I did. I went and I prayed a prayer. I opened my Bible and I read some scripture and I cried a little bit and I prayed a prayer and I said, God, I'm sorry. I don't want to do this. Help me not to do this again. But in there, there was a deficit of love and gratitude and faith. Because we were operating like a noble man whose life is built around what he has done for himself. And it is very difficult for us to embrace a God who who wants to give us freedom based on the fact that he loves us and nothing else and that he has given his son to do that we still feel like we've got to do something we still feel like we have to get it or or we have to earn it what Jesus was saying uh, to this good man was Who do you think loves me more? You or her? She's been down here constantly kissing my feet. Adoring me. Loving me. And you're up here and you have my ear. And you are thinking in your heart that I may not even be a real prophet. Because if I was, I would put her out. This man has no understanding of what repentance is. He has no understanding of what love is. He has no understanding of the gospel. Let me tell you something right here. You will never be able to conquer your idols unless you have a rich understanding of the gospel. You've got to know what the gospel is if you want to take down the idols of your heart. Her repentance is going deeper and deeper and deeper, this woman, because she understands the depth of her sin. But she understands that the gospel has taken it away. She was in a place where she could do nothing about her sin. 
She couldn't displace it with a better, more noble life. She couldn't displace it with wealth and riches. She couldn't displace it with some type of, of, of social order. She was where she was. And her only answer was the gospel. And, and the understanding of what God had done for her. And this is what I want you to understand. It, it changed her. It changed her, her lifestyle. It changed how she responded. And here she is loving Jesus. And this is what I want to say to you. This dynamic, this thing of understanding that we are in Christian growth, that there needs to be supernatural change, that, that there is a, a, a supernatural spiritual cycle that needs to be going on, and that, that the end of that is repentance, that grows faith, all of that. That whole, that whole dynamic, that whole cycle was unleashed in this woman's heart out of her understanding of what Jesus had done for her. If you don't understand repentance to the, to the depth that the gospel brings it forth, if you don't understand that, your repentance will only lead you to further works. You will only displace one idol with another. Maybe more noble, maybe better in some sense, but still an idol. Simeon kept repentance for the bad times. Simeon was the kind of guy who repented when he realized he had done something wrong, and probably only if he got caught. Most of us repent when we get caught of sin, our, our, our sin is exposed, but really we don't repent, we just regret. And that regret is that it got exposed, even if it wasn't public. Many of us just regret when God opens our heart and shows us ourselves. And because we don't know how to take care of that ourselves, we tend to fall into places of despair. And, and like this, this, this noble man, we are saying, basically, I'm good. I have repented of specific sins. I've repented on certain dates. I remember when that was brought to my attention. And I repented of it. But are you really free of it? Is it something that, that, that no longer holds you? And, and rather than that, you have grown closer to God. Think about that. How many times have you repented of something, but one of the diseases in your heart was the reality that you didn't get any closer to God? You were stuck. You stayed in a place you were, even though in some form and function you repented of a sin. See, this woman understood the gospel. She understood that Jesus had come and he was covering her sin. I don't know how she understood that, but she got it. She was loving him. She was adoring him. She, she understood the, the, the depth of what he was, was about. His forgiveness, his forgiveness for her was unbelievable and deep and rich and she grabbed a hold of it and she could not stop adoring him she could not stop loving him
that Jesus is actually your Savior means that, that God does not accept you on your own efforts. Do you understand that? That is, that is sort of one of the keys, the big keys that really unlocks this thing. God doesn't accept you on your own efforts, but on what Jesus has done. This, this whole thing is about the gospel wrapping around our, our lives and our struggles and our battles and our faults and our sins. And if you understand that, when you, when you see your sin more deeply, that releases more love and more joy in your heart. You begin to appreciate God. You begin to appreciate the gospel. You begin to appreciate what Jesus has done. Now, if you don't rest your life on the gospel, all right, you know, like, like you say, well, I'm a moral, religious person. Or, or maybe you're sitting here and you would say, well, no, I'm an atheist. I don't even believe. Or maybe you're sitting here saying, I'm, I'm a criminal person. I've, I've done awful, wicked crimes, and I don't think there's, there's any hope for me. Well, regardless, you're in, you're in the same boat in that you are relying on your own power and ability at this point. If you're a criminal, you're just taking care of yourself selfishly. And if you're a good moral person, you're saying, I'm good based on my goodness and my morality. You're both in the same boat. And, and, and if that's you, then, then you need to discover something, and that is the gospel. But if, if your discovery is your own personal weakness, then that's going to lead you to a personal despair. So if you're looking at idols in your life, if you're looking at sin struggles in your life, and, and you're not wrapped up in the gospel, you're going to go into despair because you can't take care of that. You can't, you can't fix that. You don't, you don't have an answer for that. Only the gospel is your answer. And there is nothing else. You can't go anywhere else. You can search, you can look, you can listen, you can read, you can learn, you can memorize, you can act out, you can perform, you can cry and weep and holler and kick and beg, you can pay money, you can do anything you want to. It will not bring down an idol in your life. Only Jesus, only the power of God will do that. And so if we're looking for anything else, we will eventually reach despair. If, if, you don't, if you don't understand the gospel, it's going to lead you right there to a place of hopelessness and despair. On the other side of that dynamic, though, is that if you do understand the gospel, love and joy and spiritual energy and growth and flourishing is all going to begin to manifest in your life. You're, you're going to begin to find that place of, of tremendous fulfillment and rich joy in your life. Repentance leads to a greater gratitude. It, it, it leads to a greater appreciation, even a thrill, if you will, for what God has done for us. Let me ask you a question. Let me pose this to you. When's the last time you really were thrilled about your salvation? Oh, my goodness. Like in any one given day, just, just think about it. Was there a time where you just went like, wow, <laughs> I'm saved. 
you know, my goodness, I could be on my way to hell. I could be destroyed. I could, I could already be there. But for the grace of God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, I am saved. I can go to bed at night knowing I'm saved. I don't have to worry. I don't have to fret. I don't have to pray some kind of frantic prayer. And hope with great doubt that I might make it if I don't wake up in the morning. Who, who wants to live that way? And yet many in the faith are living just such lives that are not rich and they're fraught with anxiety and worry and despair and hopelessness and depression and, 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 and all kinds of other things are being done to try to take care of that. And yet the gospel is right there, rich and powerful. But that doorway is repentance. Repentance. That gets us in there. And if, 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 you, if you, listen, if you, it's so misunderstood. If you look at your sin only to enter into despair, then, then the, the question is then, uh, on what basis do you believe God loves you? If, if He only loves you if you can make yourself perfect. We've missed, the, we've missed it by a long shot here, folks. This is not what we're trying to teach you. This is not what we're trying to, to develop in, in a life-giving church, in a life-giving environment where we flourish and we have abundant life. We, we, we don't live that way. Jesus is your Savior. He's your gospel. And so then repentance becomes the beginning of the growth cycle. If he's my savior, I I need to appropriate what he has done on the cross. And then I need to live out of that appropriation a life of joy and commitment and dedication. So Paul says, this is what you used to do, but you don't do this anymore. And he named all all those things in in the passage that David read to you this morning. But but you, you don't live like that anymore. That is an old self. There is a new self. The sad thing is, the new self is living as though it is the old self. Even though we have accepted Christ and we're coming to church and we're longing to be fulfilled in Him, we are still living out of an old nature, an old self. And we're, and we're, we're allowing these, these idols to come in and displace the gospel and displace the power of God. But here's what repentance is. Here's what repentance does Repentance is identifying and removing the idols of the heart. Identifying and removing, all right? And, 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 and here's the key. That is more than stopping certain kinds of superficial external behaviors or sins. You can have an idol of money. And you can stop being greedy and you can start giving money to other people or to events or opportunities in the kingdom. And you can still be lost. You can still go to hell. Managing external sins is not what we're talking about. We're talking about displacing something that is on the throne of your heart that is meeting your needs when only God can meet them. Because those needs being met by other things will never truly be met. Okay? An idol is something that you get your identity from. 
something that makes you what you are. We've all got some things in our lives that, and, and here's the thing, you may not actually possess it, you may not have it in the sense of ownership, but this is the way it plays out in your head, in your thinking, maybe even in your vocabulary. If I had that, that's all I need. If I just had that. And the great deception is that when you get it, there is another one. Oh, if I just had that. It could be possessions, it could be a house, it could be a car. It could, it could be achievement, it could be an education, a degree. Uh, it, it could be emotional, it could be a relationship with someone. But if I just had that, I'd have it. I, I'd, I'd have it made, all right? So what you're saying is that's what I need to make myself complete. That's what I need to make my identity complete. And so we establish these things that we go after. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. It's one book over back from where Colossians is. Look at chapter 3. Paul, Paul's writing, and he says, starting in verse 3, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. No, no confidence in anything but Jesus alone, all right? Then he says in verse 4, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. He goes, and so then he goes on and he says, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Uh, he sounds quite boastful here. He sounds quite, you know, like he's advertising himself in, in some way, putting himself out there. He says, I'm circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, I'm under the law, blameless. Oh my goodness. That is a lovely order. That is the most amazing identity. If he wasn't following Jesus, he could stand up in the church and say, I am the best of the best. I got it. Any of you think you got it? Talk to me, because I got more. He had that identity, you know. He had done it. He had, he had worked hard and he had done it all. But notice what he says then. He says, I would under the law be blameless, but... Whatever gain I had, whatever I had achieved, whatever I had taken hold of, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, those could have been idols for me, but I took every one of them down. And now I'm after Christ alone. He goes, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth, look at this, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. All right. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. This is, this is a sweet translation. Really what he's saying is I count them as dung. I, 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 they're no better than feces. 
That's, that's, where I, that's the value that I put on all of those major accomplishments and things, all right? In order that I may gain Christ. Not that those things are feces, but that I look at them now that way and I, I create this value system now for those things simply because I want to gain Christ and I want to be found in Him. And here's the key. Here's what it comes down to. Not ha- I want to be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own. That's idolatry, folks. Your own righteousness is idolatry. I don't want to have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Faith. I put all of that behind me. I repent of everything that has been an idol in my life in order that I depend on Christ and Him alone and nothing else. And there in that place, my faith rises. And I build my faith on that and nothing else. That is how we overcome. All right? So, so the job of the Christian here is growing in this ability to identify what those things are, those, those other forms of righteousness, if you will, and to pull them down, to, to, to get them out of there. And that is a process. And it, it's going to take time. And we're going to deal with some of that process more at other times during, during the rest of this year, possibly. Uh, and, and we're going to be looking at a number of other things that we need to address and deal with specifically and, and real strategic ways to deal with them, all right? And for you men, some of that's going to be your sexuality and sexual sin and pornography and those kinds of things. We're going to take you through a process of of identifying that, discerning it, identifying it, exposing it, dealing with it, and and, and taking down that idol in your life, all right? It's going to be freeing for some of you. We're going to do that starting after Labor Day for you guys, all right? But there's there's going to be other opportunities for all of us to be able to to identify certain types of idols in our lives and, and be able to bring them down down, all right? We're going to look at strategies, strategic methods of being able to do that. We're not just going to put this out here in some generic sort of way and say, okay, go after your idols and, and, and wash our hands of it. We're in this with you. You know why? Because we got idols. Pastor Dave and I have idols. And we need, and we need to work and do this as well. So we're just asking you to come along with us. Let's all do this together. But there is a process. And part of that process is being able to say, well, to, to ask some questions. You know, and one of those questions has to be why. Why am I so angry? Why am I so worried? Why am I so depressed? Why am I so driven? Uh, why, why do I want to be so perfect? You know, we, we ask the questions surrounding our behavior and our lifestyle and our patterns and, and the kinds of sins that are cycling in our lives. But then we, we, we ask the why in order, not just so that we have to go tell somebody something or it has to get exposed. That is not, this isn't about you being found out. This is about you getting free. And if, you know what? If you can get free and nobody else finds out why you were bound, hallelujah. We're not trying to find you out. That is not life church. That's not how we do things around here. We're not after finding your sin. We're after finding your freedom. But for some of you, if that means you need to expose something, then find a trusted brother or sister and expose the doggone thing. All right? And let's get it out there. 
Let's do what we got to do with each other. So we got to ask these questions. We got to look at our lives and see where we're not functioning properly. And, 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 and ask the questions and look at it and analyze it. And so when we do that, then we have to ask, what is, what is actually driving this? What is, what is driving the goals that I am, I am living out of, that, I'm, that I've set for myself? And, and you may not understand that it's a goal that you've placed out there. But it's an, because it's an idol. And it actually may be noble looking to a lot of people. It may be applauded by the world. It may be something that the church says, fabulous, look at you, go. But the reality is it is displacing the gospel. And you know what's really awful? It's when good, noble, righteous things displace God on the throne. And you're doing things for performance and not because of the gospel. So you've got you to analyze and, and ask, you know, why, why do I feel like I must have this? Why is this so important to me? Why is this something that I need? Um, Timothy Keller, uh, I don't think he does it in, in the book, uh, Counterfeit Gods, but, but he, has, he has talked about, um, and maybe he's written about it, I don't know, but he's, he, he, he has a friend um, who is a, a counselor uh, that you know, he confers with. And this guy, uh, I can't remember his name, that's why I'm telling you Keller, if you want to try to figure it out, I, I guess you can. Um, but... But this guy that, that Keller knows that he's really good friends with, he, he's written some, some stuff about idolatry. And, and he says this. He says, uh, has something, this is, this is the question he asked. Now, last week, remember, I told you one of the questions I've always asked Life Church people to, to ask themselves is, what is my present level of deception? which I've always liked that. I came across this studying for, for this message, and, and I really, really liked it, and I think it's really vital. He says, Has something besides Jesus Christ taken title of my life that is affecting my functional trust? Has, has, something, has something taken hold Something besides Jesus Christ. Has it taken hold or taken title of my life and affects my functional trust? Now, here, here's what I mean. When I ask you to, look at, to, to, to ponder this question, some of, you, some of you will say, oh yeah, I trust Jesus. <laughs> I trust Jesus. I give Jesus my life. I give Jesus my future. I give Jesus my destiny. But you don't live like you release that to him. You live in a functional trust. And that, it, that means that there are certain tangible things that I trust and I function based on that trust. So I can't function if there is not $1,000 in my checking account. I can't function. I can't do that. Because then I'm broke. I don't have any money. And if I don't have any money, I might be dependent on somebody else. Or there may be something I want and I can't get. See what I'm saying? So, so there's this, this, this sort of functional trust where the trust is in something that drives how you behave over Jesus Christ. Over the Lordship of Jesus. And so you have to ask yourself, what are the, that, that's your present level of deception, by the way. That's right where you're deceived when, when you are trusting something and functioning out of that trust and it is not God. All right? 
So what do you, what do you as an individual, what do you really rely on? Okay, what preoccupies you? What is, what gains your loyalty? What is it that you serve? What do you delight in? And any of that put above the gospel, the gospel is no longer what drives you, what delights you, what moves you. And, and, and I ask, isn't, isn't, that, isn't that the effort we're in a lot of times? Is that we are constantly trying to patch up our lives? We are constantly trying to find that one thing that will take care of that. I know I shouldn't be like this. I know I shouldn't act like this, behave like this, react like this. I know that I shouldn't have these things that, that, that preoccupy me more than my relationship with God. I, I, I know that. But somehow I just can't get there. It's because we don't understand the value, the great value of a deep repentance that allows our faith to flourish so that we may rise beyond and, and, and put God, put Jesus, put the Lordship of Christ back on the throne. Take that thing off. Let Jesus be Lord. Rejoice in the fact that, you know what? I couldn't save myself if I wanted to. And so I'm going to fall into the arms of Jesus and rejoice and take great joy that Jesus has saved me from my sins, done what I cannot do for myself. And I'm going to stop trying to do it. And I'm going to stop uh, moving him off the throne. I'm going to stop with all these idols. And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find that your faith is going to grow in Christ. And as it does, greater joy and greater contentment is going to happen in your life. And that's exactly what Paul really alludes to in the last part of that passage that we read today. Is that we're no longer like that. Now, we are different because the old self is no longer operative. It is the new self that is functioning. And we are functioning for Christ because it is all in Christ. For Christ. Amen? Can I pray for you? And then we're going to have the gospel. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you that you give us strength today, boldness and courage, that we may be people of repentance, that the spirit of repentance would fall upon life, church, and that it would be a deep and abiding and consistent repentance, that it would have such uh, sustainability, that it, that it would sustain through any adversity, any difficulty, any situation in our lives, and that we would be able to find in that a rich joy, a tremendous grace that will cause us to flourish as your people and give us renewed passion and energy and excitement to do the will of the Lord. Do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Andrew. So Pastor Bill has been talking about alluding to this gospel that, that leads us to true repentance, that, that brings about growth and, and, and joy and, and faith and maturity and really living into our true identities that are only found in Jesus. What is this gospel? Well, well here, here it is. We, we are humans. We, we have been created by God. And there was a time where, where we were in right relationship with him, where we recognized God as our Lord. But We've all sinned. We've all gone astray. And what that means is that we've put 
other things in the place of God, these idols. We've set them on a pedestal and said, God, that's not you. I've got this. Or I've got me. We've chosen other loves. And and to some extent, um, some of these things, like Pastor Bill has said, might be good things or might seem like good things. But ultimately, ultimately, even the best of things still isn't God. And when we, when we take God out of his place, that only leaves one result for us, and that's death. The wages of sin is death. And so, with our sin, and we all have it, whether we, whether we want to admit it or not, big or small, egregious or simple, we're all condemned to death. But, but our, our good God, our creator, doesn't just leave us there, doesn't just say, all right, you know, good luck, too bad. He says, no, I, I love you. Here is the gospel. He sees us in our sin, in our hurt, in our pain, in our poor choices. He sees us in our death. And he says, I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to do what none of you can do, what none of us can do. And he sends his son, Jesus. Jesus, who is 100% God, 100% man, and he lived a perfect life. He was with us. He taught us. He loved us. And then he died for us. God, who, who is completely life, became what he is not became what what we were all condemned to, that is death, because he loved us, because he loves us. And it didn't just stop there, no, because three days later, Jesus rose again. He conquered death. He conquered death and, and freely gives life to us. Freely gives us resurrection life. Freely calls us new creations. That even now, as, as we are promised a resurrection life later on, that even now we get to take part in this resurrection life. Even now, we are new. And the old ways do not have to govern us anymore. And this isn't by our doing, but it is only, only by the power and grace and love of God. Through his son, Jesus with the indwelling of the Spirit. And, and, and maybe, maybe today this is the first time that you are hearing this gospel. Maybe today this is the first time that this gospel is really hitting home with you. Maybe today you're like, this is the gospel I've heard all my life, that there have been times that, that I, I really have latched onto this, and, and it, and it has, has truly led to, to, to real repentance and growth just areas in my life that I need this again. Well, we're going we're gonna to have our prayer team come forward, and, and if you desire prayer in any of these areas, um, I, I just I want to invite you to come forward um, to receive prayer, to, to, to receive community, and, and, and a listening, and, and, and listening ear, and, and caring hearts. And to know that, that, that God loves you. He doesn't, and he doesn't want to see you constantly banging your head against the wall, trying to do it your own way. 
He doesn't want to see you in, in fear and doubt and despair over, over not seeing change or growth. But he wants to and is able to bring you into new and true life, help you live into your true identity in him. Um, so I'll pray for you and, uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll be free to go. Father, thank you so much that you, you are a good God, that you are a good Father who, who loves us and cares for us and, and who calls us to you, who calls your sons and daughters to you. Oh, we pray that you would, you would just alight upon our hearts, that, that we would truly know your gospel and that your gospel would, would lead to life in each one of us, that your gospel would lead to, to, to recognizing areas in our lives of, of idolatry in which we can repent and in which we can move forward in joy and growth and truth and maturity and faith. We know we can't do it alone. We know we can't. And we thank you that, that you have made a way for it to be possible, that you have gone before us, that you go with us and you go after us. And so to you, Lord, who is able to keep, keep us from stumbling, who is able to present us blameless before your presence, before your presence of glory with great joy, to you, Lord, our Savior, through Jesus, your Son, and our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. In your name, Jesus, amen.